Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ground, a podcast from Cathedral Project. This is episode two, and today I'm stoked to be interviewing a good friend of mine, Zach Wheeler. Zach served on staff with me at a church for a few years. He's a good friend, very insightful, smart dude, and a fellow musician. He's funny. He's got a really good attitude, which is good because he's been hit by some some crazy stuff in his ministry life and even touched by some scandal. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with IHOP, Kansas City, and FAI, the missions uh, organization that was doing a lot of work in uh, the Middle East. The leadership there, uh, Mike Bickle and Dalton Lifsey, have both been exposed for having extramarital affairs while they were leading those ministry efforts. And this is pretty recent stuff. So when you're preaching a message of abstinence before marriage and faithfulness during marriage, leading people into the missions field where they're giving up their lives to serve and in some cases putting themselves in danger, leaving everything they know at home, it's important that you you have integrity. So that's that's what we're going to be talking about today, covering that a little bit, and then covering Zach's deconstruction. So if you guys will, welcome with me to Ground, Zach Wheeler. All right, shoot. Um, <laughs> what? So... I uh, I don't know I don't know a lot about early life I don't know where you where you where are you from Zach Wheeler Where'd you come from Where where were you born I grew up in Maryland I grew up in a lot like I remember that Yeah a lot like this area uh, that we're in right now Your home oh, okay. the country Oh okay um, I grew up There were more cows than people on my street um, <laughs> Big Catholic family I'm number four of six Okay and um, Italian, German heritage. I bring that up because it left this heavy Catholic imprint on me. Catholic guilt. Catholic guilt and shame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was the home that I was raised in. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Catholic shame. That is choice. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And then I moved down here in, yikes, 2003, 20 years ago. Down to Georgia, okay. To pursue uh, music. When you grow up in the country in Maryland, there's not a lot of places to play music. No, there isn't. I don't think the country is a good place for musicians. I think that's um, that's why we uh, we get so discontented. That's why we we leave. Yeah, it's a good place (laughs) to learn drums because there's not a lot of people around. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. So I'm going by William on this podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Just a little trivia about you. Your name's also William. I am. You are also William. (laughs) I'm also William, my secret name. That is now going to be as public as this podcast. Uh, The podcast isn't super public yet, so don't (laughs) worry about that. (laughs) Is Billy Bob. I'm actually a Billy Bob. You're a Billy Bob? Okay, yeah. So I, um, the reason that I go by William... Have you heard of the musician Jacob Collier that's been blowing up? Okay, so that's why. Like, I knew when I actually started a podcast that it would have to be, or any kind of public work, that I couldn't be Jacob Collier. No. Because it would be just, and there's also like a- Cease and desist. Yeah, there's also like an MMA fighter named Jake Collier. So it's just like, I I needed to do something fresh, Zach, is what I'm saying to you. So 
I need to do something fresh, William, is what I'm telling you, Zach. <laughs> well, I like the William Collier. <laughs> I liked Jake. And... I think it works. I don't know. I went by William for a short stint in elementary school just to be different because we switched districts one year. And I was like, I guess I'm William now. So every, there was like a, this tiny little swath of people from uh, New Georgia that uh, know me as William and Chili Willy. They call yeah. me but, I uh... tried to do that, too. I had this moment where... It was like right after I really started, like, I'm, I'm really going to follow Jesus. And I was like, I'm changing my name. And I just like the heritage of the name William, like William Wilberforce and all these guys. Yeah, I, like, I want to be like that. I don't want to be Zach. And when you just have established friends, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. To, <laughs> it doesn't really work. It's so. true. I'm already freaking people out with it, with the change that I've made. But you know what? I'm sticking to it, Zach. I think it's going to work. Mm-hmm. So we're going to make it work. I, will, I won't go by Billy Bob. I'll tell you that. William Zachary Robert Wheeler. So you you moved down to Georgia in 2003 to pursue music. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that like right after high school? Were you in high school at that point? What what, what how does that fall in your your uh, life phase journey? It was actually the summer before my senior year. Okay. And you know, I kind of touching back on where I grew up. I grew up in a it was a culturally catholic home. Yeah. And so in the same way we have cultural Christians here where it's Christmas and Easter, that's how it was up north. It was very like, you know, we go to mass on Christmas and Easter and we go to Catholic school because it offers a better education. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. there was no like rooting in my heart of faith. It was all very up here and emotional of God doesn't like bad little boys. That's what my Italian yeah. grandmother would tell me. Mm. And um, and then I became a Christian in eighth grade um, through just this family that really started to radically love on me. Yeah. In a way that was totally different from my family. And they ended up moving down to Georgia my junior year. And that year was like I lost all of my closest friends. Mm. Um, the friends that I would, you know, grew up playing music with and we would go to shows together. Um, one of them, Zach Lawrence, he he went off to college. Yeah. And then my other closest friend, Kevin, and his family moved down here. And there's just this giant void in my life. And, yeah, you know, big void of community. And um, it's just a really tough year, really lonely year. And I came down here the summer after. And um, it was just like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Not only with community, but also with... Music, like mm-hmm. you know, this was back when Swayze's the oh, little yeah. venue was yeah. in its heyday. Swayze's, man, yeah, yeah. a fair parkway. I saw slick shoes at Swayze's. <laughs> I loved slick shoes. Yeah, dude. that's a deep I'm, cut right there. That man. is, man. Oh, they were them and Goaty Hook. Yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> terrible. That Banana Man record. Oh, your so ears bad. will bleed. It's yeah. so trebly. <laughs> so good that it's so, it's so bad it's that bad music is really good bad music you know yeah and it's it was it was a really important part of of like growing as a musician is you know just playing bad music yeah was very and going to these shows 
And, you know, at, at that time, you could go to a show, like, every night. Oh, yeah. Masquerade, you know, Swayze's. And then, you know, starting to play those places, the Vineyard. Yeah. Cutting your teeth in those places. We yeah. played with, like, Copeland and May. Saw Me Without You there. Oh, yeah. It was very fun. I think it Actually, was... we opened for Fallout Boy there. Oh, my God, man. And then, like, a year later, they were, like, blew up, and we were like, what? These... Okay, so you're saying we. What was the name of your band? Um, I, we had a lot of different iterations. It was me and, uh, my buddy, Kevin, his brother, Ryan, uh, Jeff Bowman, a few guys would just rotate and we started as for death and glory. All right. As like Norma Jean, all those guys were really big. Yeah. And then we evolved into Love Takes Flight, which was this like, okay, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Amberlynn. Taking Back Sunday esque, like yeah, I don't even know that style. Early two thousands is yeah. what we'll call it. Okay, yeah, no, it's it, that lands. That's that is a real vibe. That's a real vibe of mm-hmm. music right there. That era. So oh, yeah, Jeff and Kevin went on to become way more successful musically than either one of us did. Yes, they did. More successful in life than. <laughs> At least me. Oh, man, middle age. It's <laughs> rough, dude. <laughs> it is. Yes. Yeah, Kevin Kevin has a studio, which has been fun to... Yeah, he blew up. He's got some really cool stuff going on. He does, yeah. So it's been fun to play out of there, and I guess kind of to bring it to present day, still playing session work, studio work, which is fun. It's kind of like you kind of... You hit a point as a musician... I, I talk about it kind of like the sailor in the sea. It's like it just gets in you and you got to oh, yeah. be around it. It's true. I, I've been away from it for way too long and I feel it all the time. I, I, I need to I need to get back into it. And my, my chops are falling apart, dude. I got I to gotta oh, yeah. fix that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay, so going from the band life to uh, graduating from high school, or is that what happened? Did we graduate? Are we graduators from high school? And then we went to college? Or we, how did did. That go? Okay, we, we did. Okay, we did graduate from high school. I was so into music that my grades were very bad. I didn't even get into KSU, <laughs> Kennesaw State University, which back in that time was like... Yeah, that was... That was easy to get into at the time. It was thirteenth grade. Like everybody yeah, yeah. went there. So I went to the prestigious Chattahoochee Technical yeah, College. Yeah. Which a was one. also a it was kind of a coming home moment for me because growing up I loved nineties country. Yeah. My yeah. favorite song growing up. Yeah. Okay. Chattahoochee. I see where you're going. Yeah. Chattahoochee. Okay, yeah. A young Maryland boy. Who would have thought that hey, I I would wind up at Chattahoochee Tech. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So, okay. So, what I want to know is, when did you meet your wife, Mallory? When did that happen? At what what point? Okay. So, yeah. I met my wife, Mallory, while I was playing music in that band, Love Takes Flight. And um, she has her own story of, like, how she got introduced to our friend group. Basically, she was... You know, party girl in high school. Yeah. Became a Christian, you know, radical, kind of boom. 180. 180. And, you know, was like, exactly. Was like, Lord, you know, I can't be around my friends anymore. So give me new friends. And, (laughs) you know, he really did answer that prayer and like brought 
a really good friend in that moment. And she introduced Mallory to our friend group. And the first time we met was in our friend Ryan Kevy's basement. And she walked in. She had a uh, I'm I'm not a sports guy, so I think this is named Patrick Ewing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a sports guy either, but I, I know that name. Yeah, so yeah. she had a Patrick Ewing jersey on, and <laughs> she was so loud. That oh was like, yeah, that was my first thought. Was this girl is so loud, and definitely my type. Definitely, you know, yeah, brown, brown eyes, brown hair, um, very cute. Girl but next- I was dating somebody at the time, so. Oh. But so the, we we were, you know, kind of friend zoned each other. Yeah. And we were just friends for like two two years. Okay. And, you know, she came to all our shows. She'd come hang out in the basement with a bunch of other friends. That sounded creepy. <laughs> <laughs> we had like a basement. Hey, we all hung out alone with our girlfriends in the basement <laughs> yeah. in high school, dude. That's that's I mean, come on. There's yeah. no we don't need to feel bad about that. That's what we did. <laughs> no, we don't. That's what we did. Um But yeah, and then it just like as I grew a little bit, you know, two years went by. It was it was really sweet in the way that we met each other because you know, you meet somebody and you try to put your best foot forward and you hide and shroud parts of yourself. But when you're just friends, you're just open. And so saw a lot of a lot of who she was and um, really just started falling in love with the person that I was seeing. Yeah. Um, you know, was instantly attracted to her, like I said. But then I started to see more of her heart, her soul, and just really was like, this this girl at the time because we were so young. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> we're similar story. in that way. Yeah, we yes. are. We are. Um this girl, we got married when she was twenty. Yep. So Yep. Same. I was twenty two. Um but yeah, I'll, I'll spare the details unless we want to go into it. But no, it's okay. So you you met her and you guys were involved in a church life of sorts, I'm assuming, at that time. Yeah. You know, she's rat she was quote unquote radically saved. Um I had my own kind of like you know, I kind of came to the Lord, you could say, when I was summer before eighth grade. Um and then kind of had another come to Jesus moment. Yeah. Um summer after my senior year, my okay. parents got divorced and that was like world crushing for me. They yeah. were married 35 years. It was the last thing I ever thought would happen. Um but now I look back on it and it was like, well, I don't have one memory of them even communicating to each other. So I was just very naive. <laughs> yeah, you got to communicate a little bit. <laughs> exactly. So now it's not very surprising. Then it was like, oh my of course God, my yeah. world is falling apart. Yeah. And, and that's valid, man. That's that that experience is hard. That's just hard for, for any kid, any child of, of two parents at any point in life. I mean, I hear about it happening to people that are in midlife and then their parents get divorced and it still rocks their world because it's foundational to their totally. childhood, you know? Yeah. So it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, and in that moment, it was a real like, okay. Jesus, I, I, I know 
Well, I mean, the the full story is like I've I've really felt a confrontation in my heart and soul because I was like proclaiming all these things and playing in these Christian bands and like, you know, meeting with these kids and doing ministry through that and blah, blah, blah. And, but there was like no internal fruit. It was just kind of like, I was just kind of, I don't know. And I felt the Lord really like, Hey, you say you're following me, but you're not really following me. So Mm. either like walk away or really follow me. Yeah. And that was like, you know, I think we all are, as our faith evolves and grows, we all kind of have different yeses or revelations, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. where we kind of go deeper yeah. into what that looks like. And so that that was really that for me. Sure. And, and we take the information that we've been given and we take the the doctrine and the teaching that we've been given, and we we believe a truth about it, and mm-hmm. we form a worldview, and we act on conviction from that place with the best information that we have at the time. Totally. And that's what you did. That's what it sounds like you did. Yeah. So we were both very much like, I guess you could, you know, a phrase that we would use at the time was first generation Christian. So mm-hmm. we were really figuring out our faith and what does it look like? And, uh, yeah, you know, just we both have very like all in personalities. Yeah, very like hype. I'm the hype boy. Yeah, you know, like I've I'm seen the hype you at guy. a wedding, dude. I've oh seen, yeah, yeah. I yeah know wedding you like Zach. Set that rug up, dude. Wedding Zach <laughs> is a real thing. He loves to dance oh, and it, celebrate, man. and he gets very sweaty. So yeah, usually a tie on the head. <laughs> All right, so after Chattahoochee Technical College and getting married, yes, uh, I know that you did spend some time in missions work. How did that come about in your life, and what were kind of the the precursors to that? How did that, that how did that come to be? Yeah, when I look back on that time, I mean, it, it fits right in with where we are. So, you know, I had just made that. All right, I'm, I'm really going to follow you, Lord, and at the moment. Um, I was I was playing in this I was playing in that band and I just started to feel this draw towards missions and I look back on it now and you know it's it's interesting to be able to look back on it now but in the moment I just want it to be you know we hear a lot of things about being radical or being on fire or, mm-hmm. you know not wasting your life and all mm-hmm. these things mm-hmm. and um all good things. All good things. All good things. Yeah. All beautiful things. Yeah. And all of that was really starting to stir in me. And I thought, well, man, you know, I was reading biographies of missionaries. I, you know, sounds cliche, but Jim Elliott, like, oh, yeah. There were so many of those things that really moved me. And I was young, zealous, just really like, you know, wanting to do something amazing. And so, it was kind of like, okay, I guess that's like the pinnacle to be mm-hmm. a missionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're all in. You're an all in guy. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the hype guy, all in. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go all in on this. And, and, you know, my wife and I at the time dating moved quickly to engagement. 
um, which that's a whole nother thing. I know you talked about your yeah. journey in purity culture, and that was us too. And oh yeah, man, you know, just very uh, we that could we can either talk about that or we can keep going where we're going. It's I that's think like that another hour. I think there's plenty implied there. Yeah. You 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 know the struggle, so we'll just. We'll we'll have we'll devote a whole like series to purity <laughs> culture in this in the future. But right now, yeah, yeah well, it, it's you've communicated clearly. You dealt with it. I get it. I'm, I'm dealt with it. it. Still healing from it. Yeah. Um, my our marriage counselor actually was very straightforward and said, and she's like, you know, she's amazing. Um, she's like, purity culture is a cancer. Yeah, it's a cancer. Yeah. And it's just so sad that it's affected so many people yeah, in such a negative way, um, especially when you have Catholic guilt and shame. <laughs> That's the foundation to build on. Trying to be a good little boy. Exactly. It's so hard. Yeah. So, yeah, we, you know, she had, I'm trying, I'm very long-winded, as you can tell. Please, be as long-winded as you want. That's what this is for, dude. This is long form. Okay. Um yeah, I just, you know, I started to get this stir in my heart towards missions and my wife, you know, there was like this mutual calling going on with both of us. And yeah. at the same time, um, stuff in IHOP Kansas City was blowing up in a good way. Not yeah. like right now where it's blowing up in a bad way. Uh, a little precursor to... A little precursor. Yeah, That's some, right. Mm, okay. Anyway, continue. And, you know, we did a DTS, which if you don't know what that is... I mean, we were, we were like, I look back on it. We were just like the most all in on everything. You know, oh, we, yeah. we go to YWAM, this youth missions organization, do this six month thing. And then we come back and we get, you know, get engaged and it's like, all right, God, what is, what is your plan for us? And there were kind of these two streams that were running at the time. There's the missions movement with YWAM and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And then there's the prayer movement with IHOP Kansas City. And I saw these two things. And in my mind, I was like, okay, um, prayer without missions is important, but it's like, you know, it just was weird to me that it's we're just going to sit in this room and pray all day. Yeah. And then missions without prayer, which I saw a lot of, was like, just leads to a lot of burnout and yep. brokenness and, you know. Yeah. Just whatever. So sure. I was like, what if we could find a place where these two things are coming together as one? Where missions is being fueled by prayer and people are in prayer and going out. You know, it's, it's like this symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And we heard yeah. of this place in New Zealand um, that was doing that. And so we were just like, all right, that's what we're called to. I don't want to start a ministry. I'm not a ministry starter guy. I want to support something that's already going. Yeah. And, you know, spent, got married, moved there four months after. Would not recommend that. Would definitely recommend just taking a year and yeah, that's enjoying. A lot. That's a lot for a young couple. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy being newlyweds. Don't move that overseas that quick. <laughs> but New Zealand was beautiful and wonderful. And we were there for four and a half years. And then we moved to Turkey, started a ministry. 
That's mm. also blowing up in a bad way right now. So I, I'd like to learn more about that ministry and uh, you know the place it played in your life and kind of the function of it in, in mm-hmm. Turkey and in your own life. Yeah, so in New Zealand, we were working with a house of prayer there, and it was it was funny the way that this whole ministry was sold because it has it makes you feel like you're doing the most important thing in the world. A lot of talk about Jesus coming back, huge emphasis on that, mm-hmm. huge emphasis about you actually being the ones that are like, like this is the language they would use, like John the Baptist, you're preparing the way, mm. uh, like Elijah, you're preparing a way, the way, you know, I think one of the phrases they would use is like an end time army of young people, just like borderline, maybe not even borderline, very culty yeah. kind of stuff where that really like reaches deep into the genuine passion and zeal of young people. Sure, yeah. And, you know, I don't want to say manipulate, but definitely plays on that desire. Yeah. And so I say this now as, you know, 37-year-old man who's been through a lot of shit. Back then it was just like, you know, one of the things they talk about is this is a wilderness where... You know, the Lord is preparing you and doing all this stuff. And, you know, we look at the biblical idea of wilderness and it's a stripping and isolating. It's, you know, it's what happened with Moses. Yeah. You know, he's uh, Pharaoh's son, right? So extremely prominent, powerful place. Mm -hmm. And he has this call on his life to be the deliverer. And I think when he was, you know, I don't know how old he was, but he tries to take that into his own hands and deliver his people, kills an Egyptian. Yep. And his life falls apart. Yep. And he loses his position, his prominence. He goes into a place of absolute um, stripping everything that had made him who he was. Dejection. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's like the biblical idea of wilderness, right? It's a, it's this place that you're put into where God strips everything from you in order to leave you with him. Yeah. In order for you to really come to a place of asking that question, who am I? Mm-hmm. Who have you made me to be? All I have left is you and me. And that took Moses... Decades. Yeah. Generation. Um, This is what was being sold to us in this beautiful place in New Zealand where, you know, I would play drums on worship teams like two to four hours a day and surf in the middle of the day. So it wasn't wasn't so much a wilderness now that I look back on it. It's kind of a... It was more like a paradise. Yeah, New Zealand is gorgeous, man. I yeah. still I gotta go someday. You I'm kind of jealous you got to do that. You were you yeah. you went you know as a newlywed, right? It was oh, like yeah. a long honeymoon. Yeah, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, you know, a lot of people wait to travel until they're retired, and um, in a lot of ways, we got to travel when we were younger. 
Yeah. Got to go to a lot of fun places. And if you funded those through support, thank you so much. Sometimes <laughs> if you're I, out there. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. I feel guilty about that. But no, no, it's we beautiful. To... We were, yeah. I mean, we were just, we were just kids, man. And we were, we were young, zealous, just wanting to make a difference. So yeah, we were doing that, but we were also like, we were running a young adult internship where, you know, people would come over for six months and uh, they'd go through classes and, you know, we'd bring in people to teach them about different theological topics. And, um, and you can really only stay in New Zealand for so long before you run out of visas. We were like, you know, you can get a religious worker visa as a missionary. You can get uh, a worker visa. Um, And so I actually had that, and I would work on... My buddy owned a kiwi fruit and avocado orchard. Wow. So I would do that. Um, But then it comes to the end, and it's like, well, you can either go for citizenship or go home. And when you don't have any money, when you don't have a college degree... You don't have a lot to offer their economy or their country. So. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know what, man? Everything's a trade-off. Like, you you were doing the work you really felt convicted and compelled to do. Mm-hmm. You were newlyweds, so the financial responsibilities and burdens that you had were relatively low. You know, Super low. Yeah, so there's, there's a really uh, redemptive side to that. You know, like, when, I, when we came up, we got married so young and—, and boom, had a kid right away. There's just a flip side to everything. You know, we, who knows what's good or bad. That's an old parable. I think it's a Chinese parable about like, I'm not going to go into it, but the whole idea that there's a flip side to every coin, you know, Mm -hmm. like we're, we have a kid in college, our kids are going to be grown within the next 10 years or so. And we're going to be empty nesters pretty early and be able to hang out and have fun. So it sounds like that time in your life was, was very redemptive and and fun in a way. Now let's, let's shift gears to Turkey. So what, what, what is it that this, I guess it was the visa running out, right. That, that kind of like, okay, it's time to, it's time to start reevaluating. Where are we going? What are we doing? Are these ministries joined together? And that's kind of how Turkey came to be. Um, Or did you just kind of find this ministry? How did this come about? Turkey, Okay, Turkey, I think the best way to explain Turkey was, when I look back on it now, I think it's the clearest picture, and in a lot of ways, the saddest picture of where I think it shows I didn't know myself at all. Okay. Um, Mm. It was really hard. So, we were really close with a couple in New Zealand— um, Dalton Lifsey and Anna Lifsey. And if you Google those name, that name right now, yeah, gonna find some bad stuff. And we were, um, when we first landed there, like they really adopted us and took us in. And I think there's a part in all of us. I know there's a part in all of us that really longs for community and connectedness and being known. And there was a very deep relationship that happened with them super quick mm. to where it just felt like, man, this is what biblical community must feel like. Like, you know, when they didn't 
have anything to eat, you know, we would share dinner with them when we didn't have anything to eat. Cause we didn't have any money. They would make dinner for us. Mm. And so we started like, you know, we'd go on trips together and Dalton and I would go and teach on trips together with YWAM and, um, he would lead worship sets and I would play drums and his wife and my wife would sing. And so we just had this very, um, codependent relationship now that I look back on it. Mm. Um, okay. He's very charismatic. He's, I was going to say, I've heard, I've never met him, but I've heard he's a pretty charismatic dude. Very compelling. Very charismatic. Okay. And kind of out of nowhere, he started to get this really big push and draw for the Muslim world is the phrase that he would use over and over again. And I'm not, when I look back on it, I'm not sure where the origin of Turkey came up, but basically we were all nearing the end of our time in New Zealand. Okay. And it was like, in my mind, I had two options. I could go back to America and get involved in a local church and kind of help there. Or, I could go to Turkey. Yeah. And taking it back to Hype Boy, yeah, when you put man. those two things next to each other, <laughs> I mean, the America option, America option just does. Yeah. It's it not even pales. registering. Of course no. not. Of course not. We're it's going like to Turkey. The Muslim, the Muslim world, this is like the Green Beret. Of the oh, missionaries. yeah, dude. Yeah. Onward, Christian soldiers. Yes. Exactly. Oh, exactly. man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I thought, like, it's so sad to think back on, man. And I'm smiling, but, you know, I, there's this part of me that just kind of felt like this is what I have to do. Like, I have to do this. Yeah. And, it was a really hard time in our marriage. Um, Mallory did not want to go. Mm. And that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah. And I remember talking with um, that guy, Dalton, who's my best friend at the time. And I was just like, dude, it's like my wife really does not feel any peace about this. And I was young and impressionable. And his response to me was, um, well, you just have to lead her. You just have to lead her and mm. just go and she'll come around. Mm. And taking that advice in was the biggest regret of our our marriage. Mm. There was a lot of harm that happened in that moment of her intuition is telling her, don't do this. Don't go. Yeah. And shutting down that intuition um, in the in the name of, uh, gosh, what's the phrase that's used? Like husbands leading your wife, yeah. right? The follow your wives is the, the, the church follows Christ, like the head of the church. You're yeah. the head of the church. Christ the head of the church. You're the head of the marriage. It, exactly. It's, it's a jumble of, oh, that, that's a jumble of all submit the scriptures. Submit to your husband. There you go. Wives, submit, submit to yes. your husbands. Yeah. That theology uh, also causes a lot of harm and probably deserves a whole series uh, on the podcast as well. But totally, um, we're that so that's just symptomatic of it. What you experienced there, and um, I wonder, like today, how does Mallory 
deal with that? Like you say, it's a big regret in your marriage. Does that mm-hmm. come up for you guys ever and right now? Or is it, do you feel echoes from wishing you hadn't gone and wishing you'd followed her intuition? Oh yeah. I, I would say we've done a lot of healing there. Yeah. It, it definitely wasn't something that we just kind of, I'm so sorry. I mean, there was a lot of underlying issues that stemmed from that. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, now through a lot of time and healing and conversations um, and me giving, not just saying like that was a big regret, but showing that that was a big regret by wanting, you know, giving her the freedom. And that even sounds weird, but sure. encouraging her to follow that intuition yeah. now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Co- co-leading your marriage, co-leading your part, wife. Well, yeah, I think, you know, yeah. I think we've moved from, rarely do we use the word spouse or husband or wife right now. There's a lot of reframing partnership talk. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Because for so long, like, I don't know. The, I, and it's, it's, it's not saying this is just for us. Like, the husband wife using those terms where we though we are husband and wife it just led to a very unbalanced marriage and relationship sure and yeah. the more that we aim at a partnership and not a 50-50 partnership but a 100-100 partnership like i'm not going to give 50 and you get 50 it has to be all the way on both sides yep the more that we frame our relationship in that way Honestly, the better and more beautiful it's becoming. It's becoming a place of safety, of sharing needs, of mutual um, support. Yeah. And, you know, not so much roles of like, well, this is what I do and this is what you do, but more so, you know, she's a, a labor and delivery nurse. So when she's working, it's not like, all right, I'm just going to sit here till you get home and make dinner. It's like, <laughs> no, you know, I'm I'm going to support our family. I'm going to support you. Yeah. And man. I'll take care of dinner and that kind of stuff. That's beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll have to share, you know, the partnership aspect is huge. It's beautiful, man. Okay. So uh, we talk about, like, I, I asked why that in retrospect might come up, like wishing we'd followed Mallory's intuition when she mm-hmm. had it. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, So the intuition she had to not go and the peace that she didn't have and did not want to go, uh, now that I know you and I know how the story unfolded, I see why regret could be there. And I think that's what we need to get to now, which is what happened in Turkey? Yeah. Like what, what happened with this ministry, you know? Yeah, so we moved to Turkey, and I mean, we uproot from New Zealand quick. I mean, it was like two weeks from like we're going to actually getting Jeez. on a plane. Yeah, that's after wild. being there for four and a half years of, you know, our our friends there were like family. Um, a lot of the New Zealand culture we had adopted as our family culture, and I just I was emotionally uh, just a, a infant, not even a child, just. And my whole mentality, like Mallory is like, okay, we're going. Now we're leaving this place that I love and leaving these people that I love. And now I'm grieving this. And I'm just like, 
nope, we're moving on to the next thing. Yeah. Just so unhealthy and sad and such an idiot. So Hey man. We, there's grace. Yep. There's there's grace. We don't we know what we know at the time. You yes. Know, you, you were going with your gut, you're going with what you thought was right. Yeah, and I do look back on that on a lot of not just that version, but a lot of versions of myself with grace and love and just like, man, you were not given a lot to work with in this life. Yeah. And you were really doing the best that you could. Unfortunately, the best hurt, you know, yeah. people that you really love. Anyway, so we go to Turkey and we're there for 10 months and it's just kind of like, I mean, it's a beautiful country. It's a hard country. It's, it's you know, it's like we didn't have a car, public transportation, brand new language. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like. Man, it's just super difficult, and um, we come home to do our our church that sent us was like, hey, we love you guys. We just want to make sure you're set up for success. So we want you to do this month long training out in Colorado. Uh, it's called MTI, not MIT. MTI. <laughs> so you come home to America, and, and yes, yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, okay. and while we were in Turkey. You know, like Dalton, who we were super close with, he just kind of like completely changes. Okay. Like we used to hang out all the time and it was like, I don't see this guy anymore. You know, what the heck is going on? And I had this feeling. I was like, I actually went to Israel with him and two other team members to shoot this film. And while I was there, I was like, something just something is off here between mm. Dalton and um, one of the single girls on our team. And like mm. a month or two later is when we fly home to Colorado. And while we were there two weeks into this month-long training, I get a call from Dalton and he tells me that he's having an affair with the uh, single girl. I won't mention her name. Um, the single girl on the team. Mm. And I mean, it just imploded. Yeah. The whole thing imploded. And there was about 30 families who had moved to this small town in Turkey. Um, Like 30 families. And this is like a coastal town. There were a lot of expats from, um, you know, the UK, but not a lot of Americans. So all of a sudden, all these Americans show up, and the Turkish people are like, "What are you guys doing here?" Of course, you yeah. know. And we're this like, <laughs> we're you know, we're here because Jesus is worth it, and we're, we'll die here, and we don't care for martyred and blah blah blah. Mm. And that was one thing. This this ministry was like, there's not a lot of joy in it. Yeah, aggressive vibes. Very aggressive vibes. Yeah, yeah. And then the affair comes out, mm. and everybody leaves. I mean, it's oh just my gosh. the whole thing implodes. And the only two people that stayed in Turkey were my brother and his wife, and then another couple, David Taylor and his wife. And they... I looked around and I was like, everybody who left, including us, 
where they were in like these parachurch ministries. Yeah. Only two people who stayed were like deeply woven into a local church. Mm. And so maybe there's something off about this parachurch ministry thing yeah. that like, you know, is all about being the most intense or, mm-hmm. you know, going on these big sexy adventures that look exciting. I was like, maybe there's something to just living a normal life and, you know, living in the mundane, the day in, the day out mm-hmm. and learning really now the language I use is how to lead yourself in those times, right? Yeah, that's good. Like, where is your character formed? And so I look back on all of that, and I look back, and I do grieve and I mourn because I see myself in that time who really had no sense of self, who really had was very impressionable and very easy to mold and meld and shape who I am, who I am today is largely because of that. Right. That's, that was a huge lesson to learn, but it's also like, I was, I was really just, I look back on New Zealand and I just wanted to be, (laughs) I wanted to be like all the guys I saw there. I wanted to be like Dalton. I wanted to be like this guy, Stefan. Yeah, man. The hardcore ones, the ones that were just out there getting it done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I see that. I see how that could appear that way to you at that time. So uh, some more has come out about Dalton and his ministry. At that time when mm-hmm. that you got that call, uh, what, did the ministry dissolve right away? Or had there been other things going on leading up to then? Because I know a lot more has come out as of late. Yeah. Yeah, so this this ministry, man, it's. I feel like this podcast could be like six hours long, but I'll leave it up to you to edit everything out. So this sure. ministry started, I mean, out of a pretty, I would say, okay place. It was me, Dalton, and then two other guys started this. It's called Front, Frontier Alliance International, FAI. And so we get over to Turkey and... Affair come, comes out. And a lot of people left because it was like, dude, you recruited my entire family while you were having an affair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the whole, there's a principle, man, at play here. I mean, if you're going to preach the, this, this message, you better uphold the whole message. Yeah. Yeah. So we weren't on the ground when everything came out, which now is kind of unfortunate because... Um, Dalton was able to bend the narrative and story Mm. to kind of keep us on his side. Um, It dissolved pretty quick. You know, they they came home and a lot of, I think a lot of the other guys like me had this realization of what are we doing? Like, we, we have no business being here. Let's just go home and let's just kind of move into obscurity and just let ourselves be developed through that. Yeah. Like we don't we don't need any kind of platform. We're you know, mid twenties. <laughs> it's just we don't know anything. Yeah. And I get that. I get so that. yeah, so they come home and they set up 
the details around this are very vague. Um, but they set up this like they're telling everybody it's a um restoration plan with their local pastor and Mike Bickle, who is Oh boy. Yeah. Another name you can Google if you're not familiar with it right now, who have you know said things like um Dalton should continue receiving support because I think the phrase was his work ethic and monastic leanings makes the marketplace uh, a hard place for him to recover. Hmm. Wow. Which is weird. That, that, that feels like a reach. Yeah. That feels like a reach to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I read back on that now and it's like, what, what? Like, just get a job and figure out how to provide for your family, man. Yeah. You're going to have to be normal. Yes. So they spend maybe 12 to 18 months in between Kansas City at the House of Prayer, um, Georgia at their local church, and then Colorado. Well, they moved to Colorado after they restart their ministry, so they restart it. A second time. Okay. And they moved to, uh, I want to say, Iraqi Kurdistan and move in there. And I don't know the time frame, but another affair happens. Oh, man. This time with his wife. So that, you know... Is super painful. We're still kind of close proximity to them, and it was just kind of like, dude, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. Like you, 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 this is obviously some kind of pathology here. You know, like there's, there's a, there's a personality trait that's prone. There's, yeah. This is, this is something that's humming underneath the the, the culture that's actually toxic. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So then they kind of go through, and at this time I'm at, you know. We move home, and I go to school, and then, you know, kind of volunteer at a church, and then lead volunteer, part-time staff, pastor, so I'm helping pastor a church, and um, the affair partner for the wife was someone that we had sent out, and so now we're like, I'm close. I'm kind of back into this thing with them, but on a different side. Yeah, and it was just weird. Oh, that's it weird. was so weird. Um, so then, you know, a few years go by, they restart the ministry again. Gosh, man, it's almost like the church can be like an enabling place for this kind of culture, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and then, um, wow, you know. They just stay on the on the field and control the narrative again and unreal. Um, make up their own stories about what happened and I mean just horrible things are being said about the couple that was involved in this and had to come home and then just found out in earlier this month that there were there was another affair. With Dalton. Gracious. And so this ministry that he founded and built now has the board has kicked him off. Yeah. About time. Yeah. Man. 
You know, I, look, look, I honestly, like if you're going to preach a message from that kind of a pedestal mm-hmm. and you're going to to to, you know, ask 20 somethings to come and surrender their lives and ask families to move and you're going to, you know, talk about this great mission um and you aren't willing to just show fidelity, basic fidelity in yeah. in in the the most basic institution of the church that I can think of, the just marriage, you mm-hmm. know, then uh yeah, that that's that's not the place for you is is leadership in a in a missions ministry. That's that's crazy that it was allowed to go on that long and I'm I'm glad that he's uh he's been removed. But, you know, hoping really wanting him to be rehabilitated for sure, you know? Like Totally. I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's no part of me that's like, yes, that this happened. It's it's it sobering. Sucks. It's sad. Yeah. Um, you know, we were we were very close with them at a certain time in our life, but that was like ten years ago. So we're vastly different. They're vastly different. Um, but I think the biggest thing. So there's this, and then at the same time, another ministry we're involved. We were involved with IHOP Kansas City. Yeah. I mean, big time allegations coming out against yeah. um, the founder of that Mike Bickle. Which the interesting thing is, you know, people have always kind of been like, "Yeah, I don't know, I don't know about what they're doing." Like, it's, it seems weird to me. It seems kind of culty, but we love Mike Bickle. His heart just seems good mm. and in the right place. Yeah, and now it comes out that. Mm, Maybe not so much. And it's hard to, you know, I know there's a lot of people who come out and comment on it, and it's not me. Let me rephrase this. I, you know, stand with victims and all that. It's just when there's two sides of it kind of going back and forth. I, My personality is more just like, let's watch and see what happens. Like... Yes, call for justice. From what I've read, I mean, just horrendous, horrendous, horrendous stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, so all this is going off, and it's really led to this really introspective journey, I guess I would say. Yeah. Um, in my own self. Yeah. It's, it has to make you step back and, and start questioning at least in some degree, you know, um, but then you, you start looking at how much I know for me, like how much my identity was tied into what I was doing. Totally. Yeah. And then when that starts to change and shift and then I've got to change and shift, you know, I got to get to know myself all over again, you know? Yeah. You find yourself in a similar place at that point, I guess. For sure. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest thing I look at when I look at these two guys is just this, hmm. I would say it's it's like a two sided coin because I'm not perfect at all. I know you're not. No. Um, I was in a position of leadership in a church that, frankly, I've had to. It's been a reckoning over the past six months. I would say. Yeah. Because I was, I was not a. I look back and I'm honestly like. I had no idea what I was doing when I was pastoring that church. I was like late twenties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like when I started, I had I had no idea. I hadn't mm. seen anything in my life. 
And so I was conflict avoidant. I was, I had no idea of who I was and I hurt people, you know, and I've had to go on this journey of being like, I didn't know how to lead myself, which means I didn't know how to lead you. Mm. And it's hard to lead yourself when you don't know who you are. And it's hard to lead others. It's kind of impossible to lead others, to lead a community when you don't know who you are. Mm. Yeah, man. And yeah, I think, I don't know if that's a good segue into deconstruction. I think it is. Where I am right now. I think it is. I mean, there is that that little tiny time that you and I work together at a church that we haven't even talked about yet. <laughs> True. Yeah, we've talked about a lot. We haven't even talked about that yet. Yeah, that was a... F- I mean, that was fun. That, that was I fun, always man. Pastoring was hard, but I always really enjoyed the people on staff. Yeah, and me too. Me too. You were, you were the tops. I remember when you <laughs> left, I was like, damn. I don't know if I want to be here anymore. <laughs> Dude, I I I loved that time. And but it's like it's like you just said, you know, you can feel you can feel this internal lack of understanding of yourself and you're leading from that place and you're you, you, you almost feel like a fake. You feel like I I don't have I don't really even know what I'm doing right now and here I am trying to direct people's spiritual journey. Totally. You know, so for me, that's why I had to go because, you know, that time was beautiful and I, I, I love those people. Um, but I definitely was listening to Ramdas while I was there. Uh, What's Ram? <laughs> what is that? Ramdas is um, an Eastern religious teacher who came over to the United States uh, in actually, he, he's from the United States. He went over to India in the sixties and came back, came back to Excuse the, me. it's okay. I've shocked Zach with this. I'm this joking. Latest. I can't believe <laughs> this. Announcement. See, I had no idea what I was doing. That's what the staff was reading. Unsanctioned religious readings, man, you know, like just taking on spiritual um, insight from other sources. And I think that the culture that we are all used to in church leadership, it, it would make you feel like guilt over doing something like that. Like, yeah. uh, you know, like you're going behind the back of the, these people, but you know, where I am now, and this leads into the deconstruction thing where I am now is that I, I do have a universal, a, um, you know, openness to just spirituality and wisdom from other traditions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was why I needed to go. I remember like on my exit interview with you were part of it. I remember I said in that exit interview, I don't think I'm good for the institutional church. I don't I don't think I'm good for that institution anymore. And that- I was so confused and I think sad when I heard that. Yeah. And now I 100% understand. Yeah. I remember you even in our last staff meeting you were you would share you shared something along the lines of like, yeah, Natalie and I have just always felt like the weirdos. Yeah, we have. We have. It's it's been a it's been a theme for us for a long time. And you know, if, if any of you listened to the first episode, 
you heard some of that, you know, that just, mm-hmm. just never feeling like I fit in. I, I've come to find out I'm an Enneagram four. Have you guys ever heard of the Enneagram out there? It's a personality test. You should mm-hmm. take it, check it out. Um, the Enneagram four on the, on the chart is the artist type. And it's a person that's deeply connected to uh, a self and to identity. And so all this stuff that Zach and I are talking about right now, uh, touches on that. It touches on who am I? What am mm-hmm. I doing here? What what's what's foundational to me? Like what wh- what am I doing in the world? What's my work to do here? So it's been apparent to us for a long time that it just wasn't. We weren't in the right spot, and we needed to do what was true for us. And uh, that just rings so true to my personality and who I am. And I understand that you. Or an Enneagram four as well. Is that true? Is that what's I going on? I think so. Here? I thought I was a five, but I also didn't know myself nearly <laughs> as well as I do now. Well, I thought I was a three before yeah. I knew myself because I felt like I'd answer those those questions in the way that I felt like I had to. You know, if totally. You, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, I felt like I needed to be this, uh, you know, self starting go getter, making all this money. And and all this stuff uh, because of my conditioning I'd received, and so I didn't even know myself. It was mm-hmm. it was breaking free from church culture that actually allowed me to find out who I am. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And another thing that uh, was kind of going on at at that church at that time was, and and this happens at churches all over the place. There seems to be this value that they want to have on authenticity. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. They want to you know, value that and they want to have different opinions. They want, they want to be able to talk. They want to be able to hear it and they want to be able to debate these things, you know, that, that these different viewpoints. But what I've found every time mm-hmm. is a voice that's different, that has a different view or a different kind of angle that it takes on something uh, is like kind of just, it doesn't go anywhere. It's, it's, it's heard and then we just turn the attention back to the same old things, yeah. you know? And and so the person that presents that argument sees the culture continue and sees, you know, the same message preached, maybe things that are antithetical from what, uh, what the point that was made or the belief that was had and, and not enough room made in the messages that are preached for that differing viewpoint. So that was something that I experienced. Does that kind of ring true for you too? Yeah, and I think that I think this is a, a symptom, not just in the church, but I think what we see with a lot of ministries is this charismatic leader, which so many. I mean, that is that's the church now. Like, yeah, you know, you're a young, charismatic, not like Pentecostal charismatic, but you just have like people are just drawn to you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that model is quite frankly, I think it's broken and I think it's messed up. Um, I don't think it's biblical. Yeah. I think, you know, and people talk about acts like is acts, uh, descriptive or prescriptive. I think it is like, is it saying, is it describing how the church was or is it saying how churches should be? Yeah. 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 Wherever you fall in that, I think what we can look at in like the New Testament context is um, there was always a a group of leaders to break up that power 
from just one person. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's a good point. That we're all carrying the weight in partnership together. And it's not, and I think now we can, we can set up things to kind of, you know, mimic or show that. But as long as the senior pastor, lead pastor, global lead senior pastor, whatever you want to call it, as long as that exists, I think there's going to be that, that unhealthy one voice being the loudest. Yeah. And, and the yes men all around shaking their exactly. hands, just, just nodding along. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. I mean, anytime there's a differing dissenting and it's like, you know, we, we hear you, but we're just going to go this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I don't know. I th- and I think that's why we see you put, give one person that much, power and control and i know i know for every like dalton lifsey for every mike bickle for every what what was the hill song he was the pastor in new york oh yeah justin bieber's guy yeah that was carl lentz carl lentz for every one of those you know it's like for every one of those who fall there are you know faithful pastors laboring away Um, but I just think that model can just crush people. Yeah. It can just crush people. I think that's why we see it over and over again. And I think it's, I think it's endemic to an American mentality. It's, it's a Western hero narrative. It's the highly individualized, like damn near messianic sort of, you know, arc of story that people want to have. They want to be the one that does the thing, you know, and that just, you you just described it perfectly in Acts. That was, that just wasn't what was going on. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we're, we point so often to that church as the model, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I think it's possible, man. I think it's possible. I just think, I think the Acts church is possible. I just think that, uh, we're going to have to really do the work of getting together with friends and, and, and doing things separate from the religious mainstream to kind of inject that thinking into the culture. And Mm -hmm. that that's, that's what we're about here, man. That's what we're trying to do. So coming back to uh, time at, at, at church serving together and then me exiting the church, I understand that you, you, you weren't around much longer after that. Is that right? Yeah. I forget when you, Resigned. I resigned January 2022. Okay. I do not remember when I resigned. (laughs) (laughs) Feels like ages ago, even though it wasn't. Yeah. I know I was there for about three years. I think it might have been November 2021. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. But maybe it was 2020. Anyway, I know it was not long after the COVID stuff and all the um, online services that we did, which mm-hmm. is another another That's fun right. chapter of That's right. ministry and life. Man, that was I was earning that paycheck during that season. You were <laughs> you were working hard. So, where do you feel like this puts you now, uh, Zach? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know where I'm at, but what what what? How do you think on your own spirituality at this point? Where are you faith location? What's going on now? Yeah, it's been. It has been one of the hardest, truest, most 
beautiful journeys of, I mean, I'm only 37 of my short life, but, you know, we, I would say, you know, we use the word deconstruction a lot, okay? And back in the church, we used it in a very negative way. It's almost like a scarlet letter. Like, yep. Oh, yeah. I remember one of my buddies was going through just a, I mean, horrible season. Um, a lot of it was his own doing, mm-hmm. but it led to a crisis of faith and him stepping out of the church. And I remember people being like, oh, yeah, he's deconstructing. He's deconstructing. Oh, heaven forbid. I know. And so, you know, it's kind of weaponized and used to instill fear in people, you know, don't deconstruct, where I feel like much of the past two years of my life have been almost a forced deconstruction. Yeah. The tenets of faith that I hold to are very much the same. Mm -hmm. I still love Jesus. I still believe he's the son of God. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. I believe he's coming again to make all things new. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say deconstruction for me has looked like everything I've built my life on um, has been, it's almost been like a forced deconstruction. Sure. Yeah. Um, by the father and um, in that sense it's led to a lot of really beautiful things and it's also led to not only this and I'll, I'll get into this but you know as I look at what's going on with these ministries that I mentioned earlier it's also just been a deconstruction not so much of faith but of how that faith is played out in institutions. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that so much of deconstruction doesn't even necessarily have anything to do with our base theology or beliefs or anything. A lot Mm -hmm. of times it's just church. A lot of times it's just church life. It's just the way that we've seen it bodied forth or whatever you want to call it, the expression and the and the institution that follows and the pitfalls of those doctrines and the history and the the ways that it's been levied for power mm-hmm. and all of that as opposed to just letting it stand on its own as its own world transforming thing you mm-hmm. know Jesus Christ is the figure for us still for so many of us and i think that what that means to people at this stage might might be different one person or the next. It might be you have one person that still believes exactly like they did the whole mm-hmm. time. They're just out, done with, done with church, done with the institution. Or you might have people that are open to different um, points of view on what the life of Jesus was like, what it mm-hmm. actually meant, who he actually was. Um, and I don't think that any of that is necessarily the most important bit, because the most important bit is always going to be how that faith expresses itself out into the world through us, what mm-hmm. we do with it, you know, do we, are we showing compassion? Are we present in the moments that we're experiencing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, li- life after church mm-hmm. definitely starts to look a little different. And um, 
I don't know if you've experienced this, but one of the main things that this whole initiative that we're putting out there wants to address, that we want to address through it, is isolation, loneliness, people mm-hmm. feeling like they left this culture and now there's just not really much for them on the other side of it. Has, have you been touched by that? Have you felt that effect in your own life? For sure, yeah. I, th- I think that was one of the most painful things about our exit from from the church. So there's a lot behind it. I won't get into all the details, but, you know, resigned in January, um, was in a pretty, I mean, it was a, it was an extremely hard season. And shortly thereafter in July, well, I'll say this, when I resigned, um, there's a lot of talk in the church, especially when you're on staff, about family. We're family, we're family, we're family. Mm. And all of that kind of dissipates once you resign, mm. once you kind of step down from a position. Um, I wasn't expecting, like, you know, it's hard to describe, man. I guess, you know, when you give eight or nine years of your life to something, Mm-hmm. You know, blood, sweat, tears, family, everything. You know, it was just kind of like I resigned and then that was it. We didn't hear anything from anybody. Yeah. Um, like leaving a company. Yeah, it was very cold. And then, let's see, January, February, March, April, May, June, July. Uh, that following July, my wife's mom died. Oh, and man. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, pretty unexpected. And there was, there's just a lot of pain in the, in that season. And we had some people show up, but you know, there's just a lot of people who didn't show up Yeah, and that was really hard. Um, And I got, I'll say this, I'll add this to it. You know, when I resigned, I was living out in the country. Yeah. I remember moving out to the country and it raising a lot of eyebrows when I did that. Um, but uh, you still live in the same area around yeah. around this place where you resigned. And so to hear that it still affected you and hit you that way when you're still local, uh, that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's got to be hard. Yeah, it was. So it was, you know, that was hard. Um, but at the same time, it's been it's been one of the best things for me because, you know, one of the reasons I resigned was there was this growing dissonance in me Mm -hmm. of who I am on a Sunday morning is different from who I am the rest of the week. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't like this fake happy, like, Oh yeah, everything's awesome. It just, it just felt like, the church was kind of moving in this direction of like, I just kept, I just kept looking around and everybody kept looking the same. Yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And you know, as white church. Yeah. White golf community. And I played golf for a little bit. I'm I'm not going to lie about that. I hate on golf now. Yeah. (laughs) I'll do it. I'll play every now and then. But there's this place in me of like, where are the creatives? Like, yeah, you know, the Jake and Natalie's, you know, like we are, 
lacking that immensely. And we're not going to f- draw those people in mm-hmm. if everybody looks the same. Yeah. You know, and sure enough, the more people kept coming through the door were the white polo engineers, oh, yeah. which I love. Yeah. But, you know, if we want a diverse body, a diverse expression, then there needs to be, that needs to be seen throughout on the stage. Mm hmm. Um, in the congregation. Yeah. So anyway, it was a relief in that it forced me into a place of like, you know, I resign, pushes me into this place of very much being able to explore and find who I am. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know. Do you like Rich Mullins? I do like Rich Mullins. I don't love his music. I don't either. His music is very <laughs> uh, cheesy, is one way to put it. Yeah. Hammer dulcimer, dude. You know, I do love a hammer dulcimer. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Watching that that dude play that junk. I know. <laughs> it's very stuck in its own time. It's like '80s hair metal. Oh it's yeah. Like at the time, it was like, yeah, this is amazing. And it's, it's like like, <laughs> like Rich Mullins and Amy Grant. You know, kind of yes. like having their own little dugout genre. Man, they just made it happen. Totally. But he had a, um, I heard a quote from him yesterday, and I'm looking at my phone trying to find it. That, like, I think it just distilled everything I that's kind of been growing in me about the institutional church. My wife and I, like, we, we talk about the church a lot, and as we're healing and growing, and the phrase that we use again and again is it's like a country club. Right. Mm, it's yeah. like the country club mentality. And that's part of the pain of when you when you're on the outside of the country club, you're on the outside. Like Yep. It's just kinda like, Oh yeah, hope you guys are good. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it breeds this mentality of uh, you know, Rich Mullins again, don't love his music so much as I, I love his he's he's a contrarian for sure. Yeah. Like and he talked about I don't know how much you know about his personal life, but he actually lived, moved to a Navajo reservation, like right in the Four Corners area, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico. And there's this amazing interview with him at, you know, this big Christian festival in the 90s, Ichthus or whatever. And this woman's interviewing him and she's, you know... Where where do you live? Why do you live there? Did God call you there? All this kind of stuff. And I loved his his reasoning that he shared why he moved there. He said, I got tired of a white evangelical middle class perspective on God, and I thought I'd have more luck finding Christ among the pagan Navajos. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> That's really good right there. Yeah, he said that, and it just resounded in me in a way that I feel like what I've been trying to say for the past two years, coming out of church and just being like, at least my experience in the Bible Belt of evangelical Christianity is just, it's so lacking. And most churches... I still go to a church 
once or twice a month. And it's still just kind of like, what are we doing guys? Yeah. Like Jesus is hard to find there. Mm. And I think it's because of this, um, country club, the white middle-class evangelical view of God. Yeah. It just is so small and it's so controlled. And yeah, you know, the way that I, I see it is like, we may not, we may not adhere to a prosperity gospel Mm -hmm. of like expressly saying God's going to make me rich and he's going to, you know, everything that comes along, he's going to give me health, wealth, and blessing. Right. But we, I think what I've seen and what I've experienced is there's a shadow prosperity gospel that we believe as long as I do the right thing, Mm -hmm. as long as I am ethical or moral or whatever you want to call it, um, as long as I'm good, God is going to give me the house I want, the promotion I want, the my kid's going to get into the SEC school I want, mm-hmm. and or maybe even just more generally, like things are going to go well for me. Yes, and my in the in the vision that I have in my mind of things going well, if I'm just a good little boy, mm-hmm. then those things are going to come to pass for me. Yeah. Let me say this. As a new Christian growing up, it it created a lot of structure and environment for me. But um, my wife and I, you know, being in ministry and in these environments for 15 years, it was always this mentality of like, this is where you find God. This is what you do. Yeah. This is who you go to. This is the books you read, the you know, John Piper's or Jonathan Edwards and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And it's always outside mm-hmm. of you. It's, you know, in a ministry or in this prayer room or in a church building or something like that. And I think I would say coming out of the church, one of the beautiful things is being able to really embrace the, like one of the core, most beautiful things about Christianity is that Jesus came to tabernacle among us, right? Mm -hmm. Emmanuel, God with us. But not just physically, like his promise is, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, I'll give you a new heart. Yeah. And I will make my home inside of you. Yeah. And so kind of stepping out of the church has allowed us to really explore that and explore, man, if Jesus really, like if he really speaks truth, then like, you know, our hearts aren't bad. They're not these things that are going to lead us into ABCD. If we really believe him, he's given us a new heart that's good and beautiful and he speaks to us. And so for us, it's been this journey of listening to that voice inside of us yeah, and trusting, no, you've given us a new heart that's good and we can trust and follow that. Mm. And that's been, that's been a really beautiful journey. Yeah. That's wonderful, man. I would, I would say too, man, that like the way that I'm looking at it these days is 
I think there's some validity to the idea that the initial break from creation. I'm, do you follow Zach Bush at all, Dr. Mm-hmm. Zach Bush? He's um, a holistic doctor. He worked in oncology for a long time and you know did a lot of research on killing cancer cells. Brilliant guy, very naturopathic. Um, but he said that every religion has, or so many of the world's religions have this story about humanity deciding at some point that it was separate from the rest of nature. Mm. And that whether that was by eating an apple or by just some other stroke of free will, that that separateness is where we, um, where all of our suffering comes from. It's where the heart does become dark. It's where the heart begins to follow the designs of the ego, starts to, yeah. to become evil. And it's the realization it's the realization of the oneness. It's the realization of the separateness that isn't there, the illusion of separateness that uh, redeems our hearts. And I think we're just saying the same thing, just in mm-hmm. a, a little bit of a different way. But yeah, that, that's that's where I'm at with it right now. And the interesting thing is, is when you really read the Old Testament and the New Testament, when you really read like the lives of people who really followed faith, mm-hmm. went on the faith journey, it couldn't be more different from that. Oh, gosh. It's people who have come to turn, like, they go through something that where they completely lose themselves. Their lives are completely deconstructed. Yep. You know? You look at Abraham, and he takes matters into his own hands, Right? And God promises a son and he waits and he waits and he waits until he can't wait anymore. He's like, all right, I'm going to do it. Yep. And then Ishmael's born. Yep. Um, the talk- Muslim world is born. Exactly. Right yeah. Then uh, we talked about Moses, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His waiting. Joseph. Yeah. Joseph is, I mean, he's probably been the one I've thought about the most over these past two years. He's... Betrayed by his brothers, mm-hmm. sold into slavery, right? Um, does well, but then is falsely accused for raping Potiphar's wife, falsely in prison, forgot about in prison for 12 years until he's put before Pharaoh, who then exalts him to uh, like VP of Egypt. Yeah. yeah. And we like, which we, is pretty tight. That's a pretty tight title. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> David, David is like, you know, shepherd, anointed king, and then hunted by Saul. Yep. Like literally hunted. Mm-hmm. Jesus himself, you know, he didn't start his ministry until he was 30. He was hiding in a carpenter shop. So I share all that to say, like, these, the shadowy prosperity gospel that takes over a lot of the church mentality. Um, It's just so different from the faith that we find, one that is waiting and groaning and messing up. And, you know, we read those stories so quickly, but I'm sure, you know, you have to think, what was going through Moses's mind? He wasn't just like, sweet, I get to be a shepherd now. I'm sure he's like, I just fucked up. Yeah. I just I I blew it. Yeah. I messed up 
my entire life. And it wasn't until decades later that he just had settled into a life of obscurity and hiddenness that he stumbles upon the burning bush. And becomes the great prophet forever until Jesus comes along. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I share all that to say, like, at least for me, it seems like there's such a disparity between what I read and even what I've experienced in my own life of um, how God meets us in brokenness and stripping and in our humanity mm-hmm. versus what the church does. And, you know, to its credit, I think the church does an okay job with the beginning part of our faith, like we talked about. Yeah. All that that beginning part that's propped up by external things, the disciplines. I think they do a horrible job when the faith journey matures and goes inward. Yeah. And you... I would agree with that. ...hit suffering and sorrow and loss and brokenness and, you know, whatever it may be, your own sin, someone else's sin, and how it just... It just doesn't do a good job. <laughs> mm, it's true. It's true. I mean, you know, that the silence on the part of God is part of the story. Mm. Now, you know, there's 400 years, I think it was, between um, Malachi and the Gospels, like when Jesus came. Like, yeah. That's a long period of quiet from, yeah. from the part of God. At least that's, you know, the way the story goes. But um, yeah, that, that brokenness, man, like... I'm going to quote Jim Carrey real quick. He, um, I've, I love the guy. I'm starting to, I mean, I, <laughs> I love listening to where he is right now. I just think he's in a beautiful place. But he, uh, he said he, he had gone through all this greatness and all this career stuff and just like became Mr. Funny Man so, so successful. And, and he started to wig out for a little while. People started to see him on red carpet things. And, you know, you've probably seen the little blips of him coming on and just, mocking the entire event that he's part of in a, like a really dark and biting way. Well, around the time he did Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, he was going through like the deepest depression of his life. Mm. And the quote that I was going to, that came to my mind was, when you are depressed, that is your soul taking you into a deep rest. Mm. Because you're it's telling you it knows it's tired of who you're trying to be. Yeah. It's tired. It's, it's, you're putting something on and it's time to put something else on. And mm. I, I want to close with this. I, that's what Jim Carrey said. That's a Jim Carrey saying. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I'm closing with that because what I see in you when we hang out and talk, you make so much eye contact. There's a, there's a beautiful thing going on mm. in you, in your brokenness. I know you've got some difficult stuff that you've gone through and that you've, you've had to come to the carpet about. And I just admire the way that you are walking through all of that. And, I'm, and, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. And you're a really good friend, and I'm, I'm, I value you a lot. I want mm. you to hear that. Uh, in this space where you are walking through that brokenness and, 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 I think handling it so well in such stride, 
is forgiveness a theme that that's coming up for you? This is something I try to bring us toward if if we can. Is it? Are you in a space where you feel like you can turn around and forgive? Is that something that's occurring to you these days, or is it a difficult process right now? It's difficult for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's always difficult, <laughs> and it's it's a multitude of things. It's you know, forgiving myself. I think is probably where a lot of it needs to start for not really loving and leading myself well for most of my life. Man, Mm. that Jim Carrey quote, like that could not be more apt to my last days, my last few months in ministry of just, I mean, so depressed, so tired of not being able to be a fully integrated person. A lot of that was, I just didn't, know who I was to even do that drinking way too much every night. And that's really what my soul was crying out for that deep rest, find who you are yeah, and live from that place. And man, so that forgiveness, I think first has to start towards myself for just like, you know, so much grace and so much forgiveness. And then flowing out from that, I mean, there's a, a laundry list of, people I need to forgive. And I, there's some that I don't, there's some that I want to hold like, you know, and just, but when I think about that, it's like the only person that I'm, that is being negatively affected by that is me. Yeah. I know just poisoning yeah. myself. So I would say I'm at a point where I want to want to forgive. That is a very important step right yeah. there. That that's good, man. That's the process. Yeah, I, I if I'm honest with myself, I'm still there with some people too. But you know, I want to want to. Yeah, and I think it's also important to say that doesn't mean reconciling. Of that course. doesn't mean like things are gonna be as they were Absolutely. or relationships are gonna be what they were. It's more so a releasing. Absolutely. Yeah, because you know, we only we're never going to have control over another human being. It's mm-hmm. it's that's an illusion. It's just us that we're in control over and and that uh that that's the next stage of growth for so many of us. And if you're in that space out there listening, um I just want to encourage you to keep pursuing that in your life and um and aiming for that because like Zach just said so well, I mean that 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 poisons us when we're when we're not letting people go from the things the the infractions from the trespasses against us we are uh we are we are hurting and uh opening the door to forgiveness in your own life however you can just starting to crack that door open a little bit is is so important mm. well all right Zach I love you man love I, you I can't tell you how much I value you thank you for being here you're the best um if i wish that you had a website or something i could send people to but um nope. you're just mundane like me <laughs> just yeah <laughs> just mundane dude just living it <laughs> yeah just embracing an obscure hidden life and it's beautiful it's so beautiful that's where that's where uh the present is right there in the middle of the ordinary so that's good okay Zach, thank you. And uh, I'm sure we'll be having a follow-up. Yes, part two, part soon. three, part four. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. You're welcome.
Well, by now you probably love Zach as much as I do. I'm, I'm very grateful to Zach for joining us. Um, I want to close, as usual, with this uh, guided meditation portion. And for this one, we're going to do what in Buddhism they call the Tonglen, which is the breathing in of suffering and the breathing out of blessing, basically. So what we're going to do is we're going to, just like you would expect, uh, you can shut your eyes, uh, you can just get in a quiet place and just take a minute to yourself, just collect yourself, let your thoughts sort of begin to dissipate and breathe in deep through your nose and out through your mouth. Let's breathe in and breathe out. And as we do this, you're still going to have thoughts. That's normal. That's being human. But the difference here is the awareness that we talked about in the last meditation that you are behind the thoughts is able to observe the thoughts instead of indwelling the thoughts and being the thoughts. So just breathe in. Breathe out. And just be present with your breath and with the fact that you are having thoughts that are passing in and out of your internal landscape like clouds in the sky. So in light of what we just talked about in that interview, there are definitely some trust breaches that happened in Zach's life and they happen unfortunately all the time everywhere. You know, we want to be those deep and loving open beings with our hearts open to each other. But there are just times where people aren't worthy of that trust. And we have to stop and heal ourselves when that happens. And and we learn, of course, but let's try to remain open in our hearts to the people around us as we breathe in and breathe out. And just like Zach said, forgiveness doesn't mean that we are always reconciled, always perfectly paid back in some transaction uh, against our trespassers. But it does mean that we are opening the door to letting that negative energy out and bringing in more pure and good energy into our lives becoming more mature and more whole human beings in the process. So this is what the Tonglin is. What we're going to do is for people like Zach, people who have given so much and have been, have had people take advantage of them. Let's breathe in through our nose, breathe in their pain and hold that breath for a minute. And then let's breathe out best intentions, best of love, best of health and happiness and freedom from suffering onto these people who've been through this. This is a very compassionate meditation. Breathe in and breathe out. 
you just never know what someone's going through. People walk around us all day and we, we brush shoulders with people who have been through incredible pain. If there's someone in your life that you know who's been through a lot, let's breathe in that suffering they've been through, those, those breaches of trust. Let's breathe that in. And let's breathe out wholeness and happiness and health and freedom from suffering onto those people. And maybe it's us. Maybe it's you still dealing with trying to open this door to forgiveness in your own heart. Well, as the soul that you are connected directly to God, you have this Christ consciousness within you that can begin to free you this way. So from that standpoint, from that place of union with God, breathe in your own suffering. This this is a big one. Breathe in. Hold it. Hold that breath, all the things you can think of right now. And breathe out. Wish upon yourself. Happiness, health, and freedom from that suffering. Let's do that again. Let's Because there's no way we got everything in that breath, right? Let's think of something else. Think of another breach of trust. Breathe in. And breathe out as much as you can. Forgiveness, freedom from suffering, happiness, health unto yourself. And if you find it within yourself right now, breathe in the suffering of your transgressors. Hold that in and then breathe out onto them as you begin to crack open the door to forgiveness for them in your heart. Even our transgressors have their own transgressions against them. They have their own trespasses against them, their own ways that their trust was broken. And the heart of Christ is the heart of compassion. It's, it's what we're called to stay open to. That's what cracking the door to forgiveness looks like in us. As we breathe in one last time, let's breathe in all the suffering of the people of the world, of the people in war right now, and breathe out happiness, health, freedom from suffering. Breathe out courage to take a stand. Breathe out courage and bravery to stand against those transgressions. And I'm going to finish this meditation with um, something from Jim Findlay from the Center for Action and Contemplation. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am Be still and know. Be still. Be.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ground from Cathedral Project. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, and you can find us at cathedralproject.com.